Amen. Great to see everyone this morning, and uh, got a couple of things to pray about. One, I wanted to say real quick, I might get in trouble for this, but Mike and Vicki uh, should be online, I think. Are they online yet? Well, we're going to pretend they are. So we're going to take a second, everybody turn around, wave, and say hi to Mike and Vicki. I love them know they're missed, and uh, they truly want to be here. But uh, just continue to pray for them, and I know they'd appreciate it. A couple of others, uh, Kim's out, and she has uh, surgery coming up when? Don't know yet, but uh, she's got surgery coming up. Keep Kim in prayer. We'll keep you abreast of that. And uh, so just talk to KJ, and, uh, of course, he's back in town. Always great to have him healing up. But uh, he just got report from the doctor that, uh, by God's blessing, he is cancer-free. Amen. <laughs> So we're excited about that, and uh, so we're so excited, and uh, again, to, to have, um, where did Nina go? Nina come in yet? No, she's still outside. I know Nina, Nina's back with us, so make sure you say hi to, uh, to Nina, and uh, then uh, we're honored to have uh, Hakeem, and oh, my mind just went blank. Alicia, I always want and I was looking right at you, but Alicia and Hakeem are back there. Say hi to them. Let them know we're glad they're here. So uh, a few announcements, uh, quite a bit. Let me get through them real quick here. Uh, one, out in the lobby. Uh, no, we're not. We're going to talk about collective. <laughs> so uh, it's right here in my car. Didn't, still didn't help me. But collective will be back on schedule for this Tuesday at Sam and Mine's house at 630 uh, for those young adults. So we're looking forward to that and get back on schedule there. That is going great. I ask that you continue to pray over that. And then Wednesday nights, we're still continuing with our Wednesday night service. And uh, as you know, we have suspended the dinner part of it through the, for the time being uh, with the fall holiday and schedules, everything going on. So we are just having service on Wednesday night at 7, but join us for that. And then out in the lobby, where I wanted to start, uh, Ashley and Ben have been out there. They'll be there after, after service. We are looking for signups. This will be our Thanksgiving fellowship meal. And uh, we'll have that on the 19th right after our morning service. So we'll just turn it into uh, like a fellowship dinner, open up the doors and the windows, and we'll have a great time of fellowship and food. But that requires a lot of food. So if you can sign up uh, out there again in the lobby or the different things we can sign up for. We're also looking for men, women, whoever has that, that uh, ability. We're looking for fryers. Anybody know how to deep fry a turkey? Nobody? I mean, I started that. We, uh, I, uh, huh? You just eat it? Well, I always, I thought, man, I can do that. So I, I went, my son and I, we went, bought the fryer and everything. I came back to see how to do it. And the first thing I clicked on was like, what all goes wrong of like it spilling over and the flames and garages catching on fire. I'm like, well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> And so, uh, so I took it way out there in the middle of the driveway on the grass. So I haven't burned down our neighborhood yet, but uh, we got another Thanksgiving. But anyway, sign ups. We are looking for folks that can donate turkeys and hams. That can do some, you know, fryers, smokers. Some of y'all may want to smoke a turkey, or if you can just bake a turkey. But get with Ben and Ashley, uh, plus all the sign ups for the sides, and we'll have a great time of fellowship. But anyway, that's on the 19th. Uh, and then also I wanted to mention that on the 18th, that's obviously the Saturday before, Stephen and Carmen continued to reach out to the uh, somewhat homeless. It's different than Feed My Sheep. 
that's something that Stephen and Carmen have been doing for years. They have a particular location there in town that they provide a Thanksgiving meal for. I know Sam and I and others have been blessed to help them with that. And so they are looking for uh, sign-ups as well to help them serve and donate food. So if you want to be a part of that, it's Saturday afternoon. Uh, we take it on site to this particular hotel parking lot that is congestion uh, to other areas that, uh, that draws these folks in. The opportunity just to love them, pray with them, minister to them. Uh, Stephen usually has a word for them. But, uh, so if you want to be involved in that on the 18th, get with Stephen and Carmen and they can direct you on that because that's a huge blessing. And uh, I think that is it for the most part. I don't believe I'm forgetting anything. So great to see everybody and uh, those that are out sick. Uh, let's just keep them in prayer. If you're joining us online, we're honored to have you with us. Richard's online to be a blessing. But on the bottom right-hand corner is a prayer tab. Let us know how we can be praying for you. That's private, secure. It only goes to one person. Uh, so it's not shared, but we want to be a blessing in ever, any way. If you have any questions about today's message, we'll uh, be honored to help you with that as well. But we're glad you're joining in us. So with that, let's have all of our men come forward, and we'll pray over our service this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, Father God, that you blessed with us with today, Father God, and just and so thankful, Father, for everything that you bless us with, Father God. The greatest miracle has already been done, but we look around today and we see miracles, and uh, I just, Father God, I just pray that we don't take those for granted. Uh, bless the gift, bless the giver, and I just thank, thank you that you never leave us or forsake us, Father God, and I just thank you that you lead us, guide us, and direct us through the week. And Father God, I just pray that you open up our hearts for this message today and you um, anoint Brother Todd and whoever else may be um, speaking to us today, Father God, and just open our hearts and I just thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him, He is exalted forever, exalted and I will praise His name. He is the Lord, forever His truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in His holy name. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will pray. I'm not. 
for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, my soul, oh, don't you get shy on me, lift up your soul. because she went to another church, passed away this week. And it was much like my dad's death. It was an asthma attack, a heart stopped, and life ended. And if that was just all there was to her life, um, we would be pretty s sorry. <laughs> but when I noticed her life, and she and I have stayed friends on Facebook, even though we haven't been in each other's presence in a while, I noticed everything she did was forward for God. And if you knew Jennifer and Santos Lira, you knew that their life changed and every person they could affect for Christ they did. And I was so proud in the right way because the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due of watching her life and raising her kids and being active in her church and and loving to the point that everybody she come in contact with felt loved. And to me, the best way to learn from somebody else is to watch what they do with Jesus and copy it because Jesus said, I want you to imitate me. She imitated Jesus and people imitated her. And because of her, a lot of people have come to the Lord. And even in her death, people are starting to come to the Lord. So let's remember that our life isn't just the sum of when we're born and when we die and all the messes we make in the middle. It's actually the light we shine for Jesus and what we do for him 
that will impact so many people giving testimony of him where other people can see it and say, I want what she's got. He's in heaven with what she has now. Now let's come to the altar and let's talk to Jesus about how we want to be like him. Glory, a daughter to me. 
just want to say um, I just lost someone this morning really close to me and this song really has like gotten to me this week and don't leave here today if you don't know because my friend's family didn't know and, and they're suffering so please talk to somebody don't leave here if you don't know that you're going to go be Amen. With the Lord. well said thank you ladies All right, Brother Lord, are you a computer guru? Uh-oh. You and I might be in trouble then this morning. You used to be, or you're better than me then. All right, this message uh, came to me by way of a friend who sent me a picture image. He said, wow. He said, I wish I could do this. He said, if I could just start over, I wish I could just reset my heart and my mind. And he sent me a picture, Mark will show it here briefly in a second. He sent me a picture of a keyboard that was highlighted Control-Alt-Delete. And if you know anything about computers, Control-Alt-Delete is something that I get in trouble that my wife and my son tells me not to do, that when my computer doesn't do what I want it to do, that I just Control-Alt-Delete and start over. So, so I thought, wow. I said, if we could, and if it was that easy, then I started thinking, or the Holy Spirit impressed upon me, there is a message in that. And we're going to find that truth, and it's buried in Jeremiah 32. And I'm so excited to share this this morning. It deals with Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the king of Judah, Israel there. And uh, his ministry started when he was young, around 20, 20, I think 21 years old, actually. And when we find this passage of Scripture, he, uh, you see right here in the Scriptures, he has been reigning in Judah here for about 10 years. And uh, Zedekiah, you know, you look at Second Chronicles, we'll go there in a second. He, he wasn't a good king. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, we'll see here. But uh, the problem was that Zedekiah wasn't a decisive leader. He was very passive. He just let Judah, the people, do what they want. And actually, the scripture says he allowed them, or the children of Israel, turn their backs towards God and not their face to God. And Zedekiah just allowed this to take place. So when they did so, then God started sending prophets to them to get right. And like many times, they refused to get right. Look what it says in Jeremiah 51 here, verses 1 and 2. Zedekiah was one of the 20, or was at 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hamutal, and the daughter of Jeremiah was Libna, or Libne. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. And, and so what I want to talk about this morning, how this ties in and what God pressed upon my heart was Zedekiah. Zedekiah missed an opportunity the Lord gave him. Our lives are full of opportunities in the Lord. 
We don't want to miss them. We don't want to miss what Zedekiah and Judah missed here. And that opportunity, and it's the same thing that plagues us today. The Lord affords us these same opportunities, and we do not want to miss them. Look what it says in 2 Chronicles 36, 12. And he did did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, his God, and humbled what? Not himself, before Jeremiah. Well, why is that? Why is he here? I mean, I thought, why would he be humbling himself before Jeremiah and not God? Was not Jeremiah God's messenger? Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, whoever said, he brought the word straight to Zedekiah and, and point blank. And we're going to see the message that Jeremiah delivered, and we're going to see how Hezekiah responded to it. And humbling himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. So our message this morning is we need to reset our hardware. Not our hardware, not our software. We need to reset our hardware. We live in a world that challenges, distractions, temptations. All of these can dull and greatly dull our spiritual senses, and they draw us farther away or further away from God rather than closer to Christ. So just like we can compress or press Control-Alt-Delete and reboot our, uh, reboot our computer from time to time, we also need to ask God and seek God to reset our heart, i.e. our heartware. Thus refresh us spiritually and reignite, uh, you know, reignite our passion for him. We're going to look at Jeremiah 32 and what God does by way of Jeremiah and brings this message to Judah and to Zedekiah. And what we're going to focus on is that we're going to find Zedekiah. He finds himself in a state of great, great regret. He regrets what the nation has become. He regrets the message that was delivered to him. We saw that he chose not to humble himself to it. But what I want to focus on this morning is how we and what Hezekiah could not do in the nation of you know, Israel, Judah in particular, what they couldn't do is avoid the regret. We can. When we look at this truth, we can learn easily how we can avoid the regret and how to go about doing that. Because what it does, when we learn to reset our hardware, when we turn, realize how to always keep our face turned towards God and don't allow our back to turn towards God, and then we can live in a state of continual restoration, continual growth, moving forward in the Lord. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Let's look at Jeremiah 32, 1 through 3. If you would, stand with me. This will be our verse this morning. If you would, read aloud with me. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, which was the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar, For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah the king of Judah had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy, and say, Thus saith the Lord? Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Amen. Thank you. So if you caught the the context of those just three verses right there, 
Jeremiah did exactly what the Lord called him to do, and where did it put Jeremiah? In prison. Zedekiah, a man that God had anointed and placed, who brought the word to Zedekiah, hence why we read, Zedekiah refused to humble himself to Jeremiah. Instead of Hezekiah right then avoiding all the regret that had to come his way, that eventually we're going to see did come his way because his lack of humility and his lack to repent, what he did instead is said, well, how dare you, Jeremiah, to bring this news to me, the king. I don't want to hear that. I, I, I don't want my world rocked. I don't want to change anything. I'm held up in, in my place. I'm safe. My army will protect me. Matter of fact, I'm just going to throw you in prison to shut you up instead of responding to the Word of God. Again, we don't have to, nor do we want our lives to have to take the same drastic measures as Zedekiah's did. Thus, we must take, we must take the steps in our spiritual walk to avoid and requiring God to do the hard reset. This is what happens to, Je to Zedekiah in, in uh, Judea. God sent him his mercy, sent him his grace through Jeremiah. Zedekiah did not want to hear it, put him in prison. God says, all right, you won't listen to my word. You won't reset your own heart, your own spirit. Get yourself right, turn your back from me, and turn your face towards me. God says, fine then I'll do the resetting. We don't want God to have to reset our hearts. We don't want the wrath of God, the anger of God, not because he doesn't love us anymore, because he loves us so much, he's not going to allow our heart to stay there. God says either follow my word, repent, turn back into my restoration that I offer you, my righteousness. If you can't, then I'll reset your heart for you. And that's unfortunately what happened to Zedekiah, and we're going to see how we can avoid that this morning. Let's pray, then we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for this morning, this truth. I ask that you anoint every word spoken. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Control, delete. First thing, control. What do we got to control? Well, we, we got to control our thinking to begin with. If we want to get right with God, if we want restoration in our life, be it something that's a stumbling block, maybe it's a season we're in now, and there may be somebody coming into a season they don't want to go into or come into, but when we get there, when we're in this state of, of, uh, of a season or a, you know, that's dealing with our spirit, we got to learn to change our thinking first, meaning we must find and focus on the truth of God's Word and not the world and its lies. Like Zedekiah, nobody likes hearing things that makes them feel bad about themselves. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes for somebody to share or, or something with them that says, hey, I really encourage you, you, you we, we got a flaw here. We, we need to change our character. We, we, we're going against the Word of God. We're turning our back on truth. And, and that's hard to take. That's hard to take. I don't think anybody's good at that. Hezekiah definitely wasn't good at it. So we tend to avoid those truths because we secretly think better of ourselves. Now, I hear what they're saying. I, I, think, he's, I think he's wrong. I think he's missed the point. He doesn't understand the whole situation. 
he doesn't know this, he or she doesn't know that. They don't know what they're talking about. I'll just put them in a prison in my mind or in my heart and shut them up. Hezekiah physically put Jeremiah in prison. We don't have that right, but do we not and can we not put somebody in prison in our heart and our mind? Just shut them up. Quit talking to them. Avoid them. Don't address that truth. Don't want to talk about that anymore. I heard you. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just go on. That's putting people in prison in our heart and our mind, just like Hezekiah did. Because we think ourselves better in our own way, to the extent of defining our own version of truth that appears to be more desirable to us. Hezekiah heard what Jeremiah said. He thought, there ain't no way God's going to do that to us. He defined his own truth. He didn't think the idol worship he allowed Judah to turn to was a problem. Even though God says from their youth, from Zedekiah's youth till now, he's done wrong. And now he's 20, 31 years old, and he still won't humble himself. He still won't do right. Why? As the Bible says, there will come a day, and I think we're here now, that they do that which... They think is right in their own eyes, in their own heart. Meaning we self-define our truth today. Well, that's your interpretation of God's Word. Well, that's from that version of the Bible. Oh, that's your denomination. Oh, that's your beliefs. And we avoid the truth that's right there before us. Again, we read in Jeremiah 31, or 32, 1 through 3, Zedekiah refused to believe the shocking truth prophesied by Jeremiah. And even when faced with the siege of Babylon at his door, that according to Jeremiah, God allowed Judah's enemy, the Babylonians, to take them into captivity. It looks by Zedekiah's words that he never thought that day could ever happen to him. And it did. The prophecy stood in direct contrast to what Zedekiah wanted to hear about their fate. His refusal to listen to the truth also was reflected in the Israelites in avoiding the prophets. Warnings to repent and to restore their relationship with God. Jeremiah had time and again pleaded for the people and the kings to turn back to God. Turn their face back to the one that could deliver them. Unfortunately, the difficult truths that pronounced not only their demise fell on deaf ears. We can't be like King Zedekiah. We don't want our lives to be disrupted by truth being more important than allowing our lives to be disrupted by truth. It's hard to change your walk. It's hard to change your thinking. The older we get, the more dogmatic, hard-headed, set in our ways, set in our beliefs. Now, this is the way I want it to be, and this is the way I'm going. And, I, and I'll lose friends or whatever until I get a group of people or a church or a pastor or brothers and sisters in Christ that think just like I do, then I'll be happy. Remember, Scriptures, Paul tells us they'll seek, search after truth for their itching ears. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to listen to God's Word. I'm not going to repent. I'm just going to find something that tickles my ears. I'm looking for parts of the world that want to live the way I live. The truth disturbed him. 
We're comfortable with the life we have. We don't want anything to rock our boat. We're used to people flattering us, sugarcoating us. Hey, you're okay. The Lord loves you. It's okay. Uh, who are they to judge you? Hey, God loves you. Don't worry about it. That makes us feel good, does it not? I want to be around people who just tell me I'm not bad. Oh, yeah, Todd, you're not perfect, but there's a lot of people worse than you. Hey, you go to church. Everything's good. God loves you. Somebody walks up and says, hey, I'm glad you're in church. I do love you, but I love you enough that you're not living right, that you're acting in sin, your countenance, your spirit, your walk. That's who you want around you. You want Jeremiah's in your life that are in tune with the Word of God. When the Word of God says, go and talk to my brother and sister in Christ, when they show up at your doorstep, that your heart is not hardened that you don't cast them into your emotional prison to shut them up because you don't want to have to reset your hardware. I like the program I'm running. And what we start doing, we start believing our, heart, our own heart or really our own mind and heart. We start believing that around us that makes us feel comfortable. We start believing that that just edifies us and builds us up and never holds us accountable. Because we finally got it how we want it, and that's where we want to stay. And as long as it feeds that ram, as long as it feeds our spirit that makes us comfortable, then that's what we believe, and that's what we listen to. To experience a revival, we must first need to have ears to hear God's truth. Guys, we cannot reset our heart by anything other than God's Word. Because whatever we use to reset it outside of God's Word is going to corrupt it. It's going to be a virus. We've got to get to a point that we're controlling our thinking and what we're meditating on, what we're focusing on, and what we gravitate to to believe. If we're going to start believing everything we read, then why don't we start reading the Bible? And maybe that'll be better for us. One, you've got to control your thinking. Two, we have to alter our thinking. Well, that's the same thing. Nope. Nope. No, it's not the same thing. To alter our thinking, meaning we must understand true repentance and not just feeling sorry or not just being sorry. Imagine being offered a piece of property. I don't even know if this illustration will work. Offer a piece of property, the value has been listed at $10 million. And somebody offers it to you for $10,000. Wow. Bari, beg, plead, whatever, come up with ten grand. I mean, I want that property. Then to come to find out, about the time you're interested in it, to go to buy it, that that property is located, say, in Ukraine or in the Gaza Strip where the enemy's impeding upon it. In the case of Ukraine, it looks like it's going to crumble, and it's about that land that you have been offered for $10,000 just worth $10 million. It's now to, about to fall into your enemy's hands. Does that seem like a wise investment now? This is exactly where Jeremiah found himself. Very interesting. Most would immediately turn away from the deal 
from buying a property in a war zone and a high, is a high-risk investment. With the enemy is taking control, it'd be worthless when it's not in your hands. But that's exactly what God told Jeremiah to do. Jeremiah obeyed and purchased a field according to God's direction. Purchasing land in such a situation seemed utterly ridiculous. Look what it says in verse 15. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Here was Jeremiah bringing forth the word of God. He saw and knew by the word of God that Babylon was about to take Judah into captivity, and they were going to capture the land of Judah, and it would eventually become desolate. The scriptures, if you read uh, chapter 32, it says the land was barren and not even an animal was on it. A dust field, nothing. Not to chase rabbits. This is the miraculous miracle that happened in May of, somewhere around May of 1948 when God called his people back from a land and reunited them in Israel. It was a land that was barren and worthless. Why would God bring them back here? Because God said, they shall possess it again. And he told Jeremiah, go, give silver, balance it, do a contract, have it notarized before people, and make a public statement, I'm buying this land, I'm buying the field that Nebuchadnezzar is about to possess. They had to laugh at Jeremiah. They're about to come over our walls, they're about to take over our city, and you're out buying property, Jeremiah? we got to alter our thinking. While defeat was on everyone else's mind, Jeremiah acted by the direction of God's word. He followed truth. He followed instruction. Intention to redeem and to restore even after the pain of defeat and the trauma that would come by way of exile. As a prophet, Jeremiah, who had faithfully been delivering God's messages, Jeremiah literally put his money where his mouth is. He didn't just change his thinking, not that Jeremiah ever had to. Jeremiah never ventured from the Lord. He didn't have to alter his thinking. Jeremiah just kept on being obedient. Delivered the word of God, ended up in prison. God says, go buy land. Jeremiah went and bought land. Jeremiah acted in an audacious, a, a mind-blowing faith by obeying God's difficult command. He walked the talk. As we look to God and desire restoration ourselves. Maybe the enemy's about our heart. Maybe they're about, you know, around about our encampment. Maybe you, everywhere you look, you got fear, you got doubts, you got concern. Nothing's going my way, and I don't see it ever changing. God, you got to change it. God says, well, I will. I am the God of restoration you just got to be willing to walk and venture and purchase what I tell you to purchase. Let me worry about the restoration. But here's the thing. One cannot get from regret to restoration without skipping over a vital step, and that's repentance. We don't get to get caught in regret and then just jump into God and being a God of miracles and give restoration to our spirit. Especially when God has to do the hard reset. 
How do we avoid the regret like Hezekiah? We learn to start with repentance and avoid the regret. Only reason Jer or Hezekiah ended up in regret, he never followed the step of repentance. God sent him the prophet Jeremiah to allow them to repent. He threw him in prison. Shut him up. I don't want to hear the truth. I don't care I'm not living right. I'm living the way I want to live. I'm living comfortably. My spirit's fine. I'm at ease. I'm going doing what I want to do. I'm going to live my way and do it my way. And he threw the truth in prison. We start throwing the truth in prison in our life, we're going to miss repentance. Why? What do we have to repent for if we don't think we're wrong? Or if our heart's so hard, it can't repent. Repentance is a process of changing one's mind to align, to align with the Word of God, not the world. We must alter our thinking if we want to alter our outcome. Repentance, man, that is, it's a Greek word, metaneo, meaning to change one's mind, to acknowledge wrong thinking. Repentance does not mean simply turning away from what you did wrong. Big misnomer. People think, oh, I'll just avoid that, and that's, that's my repentance. No. No, it's not an avoidance of your action. It's a training. It's a changing of your mind to say that's wrong, thus I'll avoid it. I'll be transparent. I have trouble with this. I know I get in trouble as a pastor, and I tell you all things I'm not supposed to do, and I try to do it, but maybe not a good illustration. I have a hard time with the seatbelt law. Okay, I'm just being honest. I know, forgive me <laughs> as a spiritual leader, but, but to me, in my simple mind, which is very simple, if I don't wear a seatbelt, this is my thinking, why does it bother any of y'all? Me not wearing a seatbelt is not threatening your life. And for me to be told by government that I have to wear a seatbelt, I do that in protest. The government has not got me to repent towards that. I'm not even where close repenting towards the seatbelt law. Because the government can't convince me that I'm endangering anybody but myself, and it's my life, and they don't get to have me say so. That's God's say so. So I don't know if they'll ever get me to repentance. Maybe enough money I donate to them uh, get me to the repentance, but, uh, or Sam forces me into repentance. I don't know. But uh, do you see the simple illustration? I'm never, it's not just, you know, I can put on a seatbelt and protest, but I haven't changed my mind towards it. Well, I don't think the government's right. They're wrong. I'm just doing it because they might throw me in jail or make me pay them some money. Well, I'm avoiding that just because I don't want to deal with the consequences. That's not repentance. We've got to change our mind. We've got to alter our thinking so it aligns with the Word of God. And we say, I do that because it is truth, and because it is truth, it's good for me. Each day, we must choose the pain of either discipline or the pain of regret. When we avoid discipline to God's Word, when we avoid controlling our thinking and make sure our thinking is focused on the truth of God's Word, when we refuse to, to, uh, you know, to alter our thinking and live in true repentance of acknowledging God's right and I'm wrong, 
Every time I refuse to do that or I choose to refuse to do that because it's a choice, I'm setting myself up for regret. That's a byproduct. If I got stinking thinking or I choose to change my thinking, I'm just walking towards regret. So we choose every day. We choose either the pain of discipline, of being in God's Word, submitting ourselves to God's Word, humbling ourselves, unlike Zedekiah, to God's Word, and say, oh, I don't like that. That hurts. That's not what I want to do, but I do understand it's truth. Thus, it's truth that's right for me, and I need to change my stinking thinking, and, I, and through prayer and through humility and submission to the Holy Spirit that I allow the Holy Spirit to begin to change my heart. When I do that, then I get to avoid regret. Painful? Yes, it's painful. Nobody likes to be told wrong. They don't like a brother or sister in Christ telling them they're wrong. They don't like the Word of God to say they're wrong. Because when we're confronted with right and wrong, we got to make a decision. we got to choose what we're going to do with that information. We can either lock somebody up or the Word of God in prison in our heart, or we can change our thinking and alter our thinking to allow it to have an impact on our heart. You know, what, who was it? Well, they had Joshua, Joshua 24 at the end there, 15 or so. He tells us, you know, choose you this day whom you, oh, there it is right there. It seem evil unto you to serve the Lord because of this day whom will you serve? Whether the gods which our father served, they were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites. In whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. That's a choice. Jeremiah told his leaders when he gathered them up before he died, you got to choose this day whom you're going to serve. In the world we live in, when you want to serve righteousness, it's going to be the harder path. Don't think it's going to be the easier path. Life is the easier path. It's easy till you end up in regret. It'll have its own pain eventually. You live to worldly thinking. You live to your fleshly thinking. It may seem easy now. It will, you'll end up in your own pain. But it's going to be a completely different pain than just changing your character. One, because when you allow the Holy Spirit to change your character, He does a work through us. He does a good work in us. The change is just changing our choices. The change is to get past our, our fleshly addictions, uh, whatever the, and it is. When life finally gets a hold of you, when God's through sending his version of prophets today into your life, when God's through sending you to church and hear message after message after message, and you won't control, won't delete your hardware, when God says, all right, enough's enough, I'll change your heart, you'll experience, you and I will experience pain. The pain of regret. It's interesting that we should, that we can be sold or convinced, maybe a better word. It's interesting that we can be convinced that our worldly decisions are sound. It doesn't take much to convince ourselves of things, does it not? Can we not sit by ourselves with God's word closed and outside of prayer and almost convince ourselves of anything? that we want or anything we think will make us happy 
or anything we think will get us where we want to be, we're the easiest person to sell ourselves. It's interesting that we can be sold or convinced that our worldly decisions are sound, and yet when given the truth of God's Word that re would require us to alter our behavior and our belief, we see it as a ridiculous act sometimes. Oh, I can't believe Todd would bring that. I can't believe Todd would that. I can't believe God would want us to do it. I can't believe God is asking me to do that. Why would God? That, that's, that's impossible. But boy, when it's what we want, we can convince ourselves in a drop of a hat and move in it. We've got to control our thinking. We have to alter our thinking. And the last one, we've got to delete the doubt. We have to delete our doubt. Simply put, no one or no thing is too far gone for the Father to restore. Nobody's in a position or in a state that God cannot and desires not to restore. Plain and simple, do we believe the Father through the Holy Spirit restored life and brought life back into the body of Jesus Christ and rose him from the dead. You didn't hear what I said. Do we believe? Do we believe in our heart? The same manner on the, uh, we look to the cross. Do we believe in our heart that God, through the Holy Spirit, brought life back into the dead body of Jesus Christ and resurrected his body? Do we believe that? Then why do we doubt what God can do in our lives? Either we believe it or we don't. If he can take a dead body from a cross that's been buried in the ground for three days and breathe life back into it and resurrect him, what challenge are we for God? Or for the heart that wants it? It's amazing through the gift of free will that God gives us how we can subdue God. The same power that rose Christ from the grave, we can say, ah, no, that's all right. Don't want to hear it. Put it in our spiritual, hard-hearted prison and make it null and void in our life. And then turn around in our regret and question God's love for us. God, I, I can't believe you allowed this to happen to me. Where are you at, God? You got to get me out. Help me, God. I can't stay here, God. I'm hurting, God. No, you didn't have that prayer when my prophets today came into your life and shared it with you. But now in regret, we're crying out. Now we want God to be a miracle worker. But praise God, he loves us enough that he will still be a miracle worker in our lives. We fall victims to doubt, to our flesh, the world, Satan, that it heaps upon us. And sometimes we start believing or we start believing the lies that we're too far gone or God won't do anything with us or God can't get me out of this or I messed up this time. It can be a sickness in our life. It can be a wayward child. It can be abrupt changes to a season in our life. It can be a relapse of sin that we keep on following back into. But remember and understand this, the Father promised restoration to Judah 
why it was on the very brink of destruction. Hence, he told Jeremiah, go buy this worthless, what's going to be barren, desolate land. Go buy it. Why? Because I'm about to work a restoration that you have never seen before through my people. It was on the brink of destruction. Not when we got our lives right. Not when we, re, you know, came back into church and dressed right and started speaking right and avoided the sin that caused us to fall, not repented, that we do all the right religious stuff and we look good, then God started working in our lives. No. He works in our lives when we got needles in our arms or empty bottles in our car. When we're in affairs, when we're doing shady business deals, when we're doing whatever we're doing, that's when God's ready to work restoration. But it starts with repentance. We can't be Zedekiah. God's just waiting for repentance. God's just waiting for us to be obedient and start purchasing the promises he had. When he told Jeremiah, I will restore this land, Jeremiah took it as the promise it was, and he acted on it. I sacrificed for it. I gave all I had. I purchased land. I notarized it. I did it before witnesses. This is my land. They laughed at him. They had to. <laughs> Jeremiah, hey, I got some more land you can buy, Jeremiah. You can have all mine, too. Jeremiah says, I'm not buying prosperity, I'm buying a promise. I'm buying a promise that God is going to restore what man allowed to be destroyed. Maybe that's a question for you or me today, to, to consider that very question. And it comes from verse 27. I love what it says in verse 27. Mark, can you go back? I want, I want to read a little bit. I know I didn't give it to you. Can you go back to give this a better context? Um, if you all bear with me, can you go way back to verse 21 for me and walk with me through this? Y'all bear with me. I didn't give this to Mark. But this is going to paint a better picture as Jeremiah is in discourse with God here. Here we go. So it says, And it brought forth thy people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and with one. This is Jeremiah saying, God, I know where they're at. And God, this is a prayer that Jeremiah is lifting up to God. And he's humbling himself before God and who God is. Thou hast brought forth thy people, uh, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror, and hast given them this land, which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in, and they possessed it, but they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing of all thou hast commanded them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the mouths. They are come into the city to take, and the city is given to the hand of the Chaldeans, that fight against it because of the sword and of the famine and of the pestilence which thou hast spoken has come to pass, and behold, thou seest. Verse 25, And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy the field for the money that bear witness for the city is given to the hand of Chaldeans. Then came the word of the Lord God unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all the flesh. Is there anything to what? 
hard for me. Jeremiah just cries out, praying for the children of Israel. Jeremiah acknowledged who and what God is. He was humble towards the Lord. Even though he couldn't get Zedekiah to listen to him, Jeremiah says, God, I know who you are. And the best I, best I can do is repent for them. That's the best I can do. But I can't change their hearts. God, only you can change their hearts. God, what are you going to do? I know what you can do. I know what you have done to get them to this point. God says, you're right, Jeremiah. There's nothing too hard for me. You just keep on buying the land. You just keep on buying the promise. And don't doubt. Don't doubt my goodness, God. Jeremiah. Which Jeremiah didn't. But this morning, how about us? Do we doubt God's goodness? Do we doubt what God can do? Ah, well, I heard what Todd said. That doesn't work in my life. Well, it's never worked out for me. God's never done that for me. Maybe you're not buying the promises God's telling you to buy. Maybe you're still stuck in regret because you won't humble yourself like Zedekiah and walk into repentance and change your thinking and control your thinking to that of Christ in the Word of God. Maybe if we started doing that and then from that start buying the promises God has, then maybe our cries will change. Maybe our cries will become more like Jeremiah's of seeing the goodness of God and the promises of God. Maybe that's what God's asking us to consider this morning. No matter what mountains we're facing, what seasons we have in our lives, we need to come to a place where we choose to believe the things that seem impossible to believe. We have to learn to believe the impossible because we have an impossible God. The Word itself. You've heard the little ism or image pictures. The word impossible has the word I am in it. I'm possible. Everything's possible in God. We just got to be willing to repent. And through repentance, we walk into the promise of restoration. While Judah had to suffer the consequences of her disobedience, it tells us in verse 33, God eventually brought them back from the very exile. God reassures his children that he still had a glorious future in store for them. And they turned unto me their back and not their face, as we said, though I taught them, or rising up early and teaching them that they have not hearkened to receive my instruction. God is so faithful. If we could just be faithful to the faithful God, we'd see restoration. We'd see God do things in our lives that we think otherwise are impossible to do. What's so hard about that is there's truth to it. Because in and of ourselves and in and of this world, it is impossible in the flesh. There are things in our life that we can't do. There are things in our lives that the only thing we can do is repent, control our thinking, change our thinking, and seek the God of restoration. Because we don't know how to restore things like God does. We restore them to our imagination. We restore them to our wishes. We don't restore them by way of God's goodness and God's glory.
just as a loving father would graciously re-embrace his son as he did the prodigal son, even after disciplining him, our loving heavenly father longs to restore us when we choose him in repentance. Because it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we what? There's your start of repentance right there. As we confess to our stinking thinking, when we confess that we haven't been controlling what we think on, while we confess that we haven't altered our mind to the Word of God, when we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you read the book, What's So Amazing by Grace, I encourage you to read it. Written by Philip Yancey, an excellent writer. I part in there, I highlighted this part. It says, well, grace teaches us that God loves us because of who God is, not because of who we are. God's restoration does not come by way or measure by our love for him. If that's the case, we have no hope in restoration because we come miserably short of loving a just, faithful, righteous God. We play the role of Hezekiah too often. No, restoration is there for us. It's promised for us because of his great love for us in spite of ourselves. The beauty of grace is that even though man can't keep his word, guess who can? God keeps his. That's the beauty of grace. We have the God who keeps his word. Judah had broken their covenant with God countless times over these years. Despite that, God was not only willing to forgive them, but desired to restore and renew a covenantal relationship that was everlasting. Verse 40. And I will make a what? Everlasting covenant with them. That I will what? Not. God keeps his word. Turn away from them to do them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. God says, I got a covenant for you. My word that I've given upon you that's everlasting. That's eternity future. God's word, every word that we can partake, that we can take to our hearts, never ends in eternity. It's eternal word. It's eternal covenant. It's everlasting to always do us good. But guys, we don't get to avoid repentance. We don't get to demand the good. We have to be able to repent and walk into the good. We have to be willing to purchase the promise just like Jeremiah did. This is the message of the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel. We can't earn our salvation. We can do nothing by way of it. The only thing we're entitled to is damnation. The only hope we have is to accept the promise. The promise of eternal life that came through the redeeming work of what Christ did on the cross. Not what we're doing for Christ. You don't have to be a denomination. You don't have to be religious. You just have to be willing to repent. Acknowledge what we are, a sinner, 
that the wages of our sin is death. That death is eternal separation from God. And the only thing we have to do is turn around and purchase the promise that Christ purchased on the cross for us. But we can't get to salvation without repentance. And we can't get into the restoration work of God without repentance. I'll close with verses 43 and 44. Closes out Jeremiah 32. We have them there, Mark? Oh, you got, yeah, we just need, we can start 32. And the field shall be bought in this land, wherefore ye say, it is desolate without man or beast, as we mentioned. It is given unto the hands of the Chaldeans. Man shall buy fields for money, inscribe evidences, and seal them, and take witness in the land of Benjamin, and in these places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judea, and in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the valley, and in the cities of the south. For I will cause their captivity to return, saith the Lord. God says, I'll restore them. In spite of Zedekiah's action, Zedekiah can lock up my prophets. He can lock up my word. He can do what he wants to do. But Zedekiah is not going to stop my promised covenant for my children. And I will do them good to those that want to purchase the promise he has for us. So what do we do? We just continually reset our hearts. We got to do that daily, folks. We got to reset our hearts daily, moment by moment, whenever we have to. We have to stay moving forward in the Lord's good. Hence, control, alt, delete. Control our thinking, alter our thinking, and in doing so, don't doubt the goodness of God. We live in repentance we live in the promises of god's word god everlasting will do good for us not because of how much we love him because how much he loves us amen amen let's stand father we thank you for this morning Thank you for your faithfulness. Father, I can only do self-reflection. Times I have to admit that I've played the role of Hezekiah, that I've avoided truth looking back over my life from a young man and that uh, truth that was imparted to me looking back. It was truth that you sent to me by way of your children. Father, I scoffed at it or avoided it or didn't make light and just made light of it under the guise that you loved me and I knew that that I abused the truth I didn't control my thinking I let the world control my thinking and oh how easy I was to convince myself of what I wanted and the way I wanted it I could sell anything to myself in the flesh but Father, I can testify when I started changing my thinking, when I started altering my thinking and learning how to repent, oh, the goodness that you brought forth. 
didn't heap upon me treasures or money or materialism. But you've restored me. And you are restoring me. I just pray that I never fall back into a Hezekiah or Zedekiah, excuse me. Or ever start avoiding the truth. As the Lord leads you as a music place. Maybe a control-alt-delete is what you need. Maybe you need to come to a point to reset your hardware. Maybe get out of regret from time past. Maybe you're there now. You wish it would change. You wish you could move forward. You can. God's a God of restoration. He has good for you and me. Tanya said earlier, if you're here today, the greatest promise we've been given is a promise of eternal life. The ultimate restoration starts with our soul that's bound for hell that can have the promise of eternal life. That works through the same redemptive work of God and Christ's work on the cross. I encourage you, don't leave here today. You don't know what a day brings forth. There's folks that can take you to a side room, man or woman, share with you privately the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's the first step. That's the first step of repentance. Greatly said by Tanya this morning. I just encourage you as the Holy Spirit leads you. Don't miss that opportunity. so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for this wonderful message you brought to us today. Lord, go with us now. We leave this place. Be with our hearts. Reach out to those who are lost, Lord, and uh, bring them to you. Lord, we ask that you keep each and every one of us safe as we leave this place today. We ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name and all God's people said. Amen. <laughs>